Let's try it again. Hello, Overlake. Oh, I like it. I like it. My name is Mike, one of the pastors on the team. I love being with you. I love being on this journey with you. I love singing praise to the Lord with you. Um, you might want to grab your notes out of your handout, and you'll see we're continuing a series on love. The series is called Outlandish Love, and we've been uh, walking this road. This is kind of our fall launch. We're jumping in with this idea of outlandish love. Now, we have to look at Jesus for this, right? He is the one who has loved us so outlandishly. So we've been looking at Jesus, seeing sort of the ways in which he loves. And one of the ways he loves is through his words. Not only with his words, but yes, through his words. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Because we know words matter, do they not? Uh, the words that we say, the way that we communicate, uh, it, it matters. It matters in, in sort of what we want to communicate. If we want to communicate love or grace or kindness, it, uh, the words that we say matter and the way we communicate matters so that the person we're communicating to can get the right message communicated to them. Okay, uh, here's an example of what I mean. It's a, it's a text message between a mom and a child. Uh, don't forget to unload the dishwasher. Did you finish your homework? We have to go to your grandmother's house for Thanksgiving. Dad and I talked. We're going to buy you a car next month. You are? Oh my goodness, thank you. No, we're not. I just wanted to make sure you're getting my text. <laughs> That's cruel. Okay. Now, you know that this, this idea is that we, we recognize words matter and the way we communicate, <clears throat> it matters greatly. So I just want to tell you, without any equivocation whatsoever, that the words that Jesus says that we're going to be talking about today are the most powerful, profound words that have ever been uttered. Okay? And it's found in the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 23, verse 24, and, and uh, it's on the notes as well. Luke 23, 34, rather, and it says this. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Now, I, I just recently read through the chapter surrounding those words, and I encourage you to do exactly the same this week. Because what's happening around Jesus saying those words are the events of the crucifixion. So he's talking about people who have spit on him, people who beat him, ripped parts of his beard from his face, who shoved a crown of thorns down on his head, who, who blindfolded him and then beat him and mocked him saying, prophesy who hit you, put a fake king's robe on him, in order to humiliate him further, Jesus said, Father, forgive them about the very people who were hammering nails into his wrists. And I want you to understand that Jesus says those words not only about the situation that he was in, those words and his sentiment echo throughout the ages down into your heart and my heart today. Not just for them, it's for us as well. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Now, I want to just tell you, this is sort of the no cards up my sleeve kind of a deal. I believe this is the most outlandishly loving thing that has ever been done in the history of the universe. I, we've been talking about the, the different outlandish ways that Jesus loves. Like a couple of weeks ago, we, we've been using sort of this idea of God math 
to communicate this, right? The, this outlandish sort of economy that God lives in, in which he just outlandishly loves people. So the first week we talked about the miracle of Jesus turning um, loaves and fish into food for thousands, and the, the formula that, that we saw was five loaves plus two fish equals 10,000 fed, right? That was outlandish love through provision and blessing. Last week, we talked about a different kind of formula. It was uh, the, the way in which Jesus healed a blind guy, and the formula was H2O plus the compound for dirt equals 20-20 vision, right? Jesus was able to outlandishly love this guy through healing, and a pretty outlandish way of healing at that. This week, I want to give you another formula, and again, I'm just going to tell you, this is the most profound formula there is. It is one savior plus, and that's the infinity sign, and the infinity sign represents the infinite capacity that humanity has for sinfulness equals 100% forgiven. One savior plus infinite sin equals 100% forgiven. And that's the outlandish love of Jesus, not only through his words, but what those words represent. And I believe that this is a a theme carried throughout all of Scripture, but I want you to understand that in the Old Testament, I don't think the Israelites totally got their minds and, and their hearts around who God the Father is and how God the Father loves. So in the Old Testament, the formula that you read, you read through the Old Testament, it's pretty simple. It's you do good and you get blessed. If you act right, uh, you'll have good things happen to you. And, and of course, the Israelites, they, they didn't. They, they acted wrong and they did wrong. And, and so God, in his grace and mercy, provided a way for them to have their sins atoned for, their sins forgiven. And it was a sacrificial system. So, you know, God said, hey, you can know, right? If, if you commit these sorts of sins against me, these crimes, you can offer these sacrifices and it will be taken care of. You, you will have atoned for your sins. And so what happens is the Israelite would, would commit a sin or a crime, they, they, would, they would mess up, they would blow it, and then they would come to the Lord and they would offer this animal sacrifice, and their, their prayer was that God would visit the punishment for their sin on the sacrifice, and that they would be forgiven and in right standing before God. Now the theological term for this, by the way, is substitutionary atonement, and you get you know, brownie points if you can work that into a conversation this week at work, all right? Substitutionary atonement. It just meant that the, the penalty for sin is substituted uh, for, you know, me, I, I deserve it, but instead it's substituted on an innocent and blameless and pure animal sacrifice. The problem was the Israelites could never understand what God was really trying to communicate in that because they never sort of, they never lived in peace. It was never sure, have I, have I offered enough for my sin and have I appropriately paid for the penalty that my sin has caused and, and when am I gonna stand before the Lord and find that his mercy has run out? And God knew that they were missing the boat on this and so God in the Old Testament, even, he had all of these indications that he was going to take care of this problem, that, that he was going to solve this, that, that this idea of substitutionary atonement would one day be completely revolutionized by God himself. And so he sent Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus then became the, the penalty for our sin, the price for sin once for all so that we could live at one with our loving heavenly father. So even as Israel and the Israelites were constantly in fear that the mercy of God would run out, God had this plan that Jesus would pay the full penalty for our sin. And so we see this verse, 1 Peter 3.18. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. Would you please circle the, the phrase, once for all. Christ suffered for our sins once for all. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you, what, safely home to God. Now, I just want to say over, like, if I can get this and if you can get this, if we can get our hearts around this truth, that in Christ we are forgiven, that, that he has died for sin once for all so that in him we are in right standing before the Lord. This will change everything about our attitudes. It'll change how we think about things, how we approach the Lord in heaven, it's how we even deal with our own stumbles and our shortcomings. This will change the way we treat one another. This can change everything if we can really understand the grace that Jesus has for you and for me. Now, I really, really want us to get this, and, and my good buddy, Mike Erie, he pastors a church down in California. He actually says this, I, I think, the best I've ever heard it. So would you please watch this video? I, I, I need you to know there are some political issues that I feel very passionate about. Coffee is one of those issues. <laughs> I do not like coffee, and I do not like coffee drinkers. The, the, the smell of coffee breath that infiltrates this haze, I mean, it adds to the smog. I mean, it just, I don't like coffee cake. I don't like coffee ice cream. At Starbucks, they should give you mints that just right with your lattes. And I felt this way until someone led me to a chai tea latte. Now, chai tea is, is much, it's, it's holy. Uh, it leaves your breath sweet. Chai tea, but I gotta be honest, when I first started ordering chai tea lots, I didn't feel very masculine. Because, I, you know, you come in and like, yeah, I want a venti, triple shot, caramel, whatever, with the this and the, I have no idea what you're saying, but it sounds masculine. When, it, when I say, I'd like a chai tea latte. I mean, it just doesn't sound as cool. But I overcame that, and all of a sudden, I'm a part of Starbucks culture. I have the sleeve, I'm drinking Starbucks, I felt awesome. Now, I am a man who forgets his wallet everywhere. And, and, and if you go out to lunch with me, you'll see me rummaging through everything, trying to find where my wallet is. And, and my parents have accused me of forgetting it on purpose. I disagree entirely. I have discovered the joy of chai tea and uh, ready, to make, ready to eat oatmeal through the drive through Starbucks on Imperial. I'm gonna give you two hypothetical scenarios, okay? Suppose I hit Starbucks every day. Suppose the same person is at the counter every day named Eric. Suppose I almost always forget my wallet. Eric, I forgot my wallet, bro. I'm so sorry. Is there any way I could get a chai tea and some oatmeal? Eric says, well, okay. I mean, well, just I'll charge you tomorrow for, for all of this. But yeah, I mean, I know you. You're good for it. Awesome. Day number two. Dude, I'm so sorry. I, I don't have it. I'm so sorry. I know I promised, but I mean, is there any way? 
that you could give me a chai tea and oatmeal. <sighs> really? Really? <sighs> Don't tell anybody I'm doing this. Gives it to me. Day three. Oh, bro, I'm so sorry. I promise I'll bring it tomorrow. Is there any way I can have a chai tea and oatmeal? What's he going to say? No! I'm not going to lose my job over your obsession with chai tea and oatmeal. No way. Okay, that's scenario number one. Scenario number two, I have a smart wife. She goes out and purchases a Starbucks gift card and does not give it to me. She gives it to Eric. <laughs> and suppose, suppose she says to Eric, Eric, $100 is on this thing. Whenever Mike comes in and forgets his wallet, just use that. When it gets down to $10, call me and I'll put more on it. I come in the next day. Eric, dude, I'm so, I know, I know, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Is there any way I can have a chai tea and oatmeal? What's Eric going to say? Yeah. You want a muffin with that? <laughs> yeah, I want a muffin with that, of course. Are you kidding me? In the first scenario, I was appealing to Eric's sense of mercy. I was indebted to him. I could not pay. He did me a favor for two days, but then his mercy ran out. In the second scenario, unknowingly, I was appealing to his sense of justice. Why? It would be unjust of him to charge me when the price had already been paid. What Genesis says and what Paul affirms is that precise truth. When you go before God for the 400th time to confess the same stubborn sin... You don't have to go with blood on the hem of your robe in terrible and dreadful darkness, fearing that the 401st time he'll run out of mercy. You go in righteous robes, boldly appealing to his justice because it would be unjust of him to hold my sin against me when Jesus became sin so that I could become God's righteousness. That's the difference. And see, what happens is... What happens is this, far too many of us still live cowering before our God as if we had anything to do with this whole big thing to begin with. See, I believe central, I, I think the gospel's bigger than we can imagine. It encompasses everything. We're going to see that over the next several weeks. But at the central of it is a God who provides what that same God demands. And that is the difference between the gospel of Jesus and every other system of religion or philosophy in the history of the planet. God demands and God pays. It's a good word. Yeah, when I'm in Southern California, often Mike and I will go get a meal. I'll pay. <laughs> but I want you to understand this. That, that, you, you, you catch it, right? What, what God demands, God provides. What God requires, God pays. His forgiveness is for anyone and everyone who will step in and accept it. Anyone. Receive it. 
And when you receive his forgiveness, you are forgiven. It doesn't go away, right? It's, you're in the state of forgiveness, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He becomes sin and takes yours from you and gives you his righteousness. So when God the Father looks at you, he sees his son. What does he say about his son? This is my beloved son. And when you've accepted this gift of his forgiveness, that's what he says about you. This is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son. That's who you are. And over, like, I want us to know this here, and I want us to feel it here. I want us to live with that kind of, of knowledge and, and just that assurance that we are accepted by Most High God and loved by Most High God and forgiven by God Most High, not because of our own merit, but because of Jesus who has become the substitutionary atonement that we require. But now in this relationship, we are righteous before God Most High. Isn't that beautiful? That's outlandish love, that we are forgiven. And, and, and actually, it's all the way through the scripture. So I want you to know, it's not like a left turn from the Old Testament because in the Old Testament, we have verses like this. Great is God's faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Each, new, each day is a new day. God constantly has this new heart of love for us. And it's his love that sets us free. And it's his love that, that lifts us up. His forgiveness actually is the most empowering tool there is so that we can live the life that he has called us to live, that he's created us to live. Now, I know that for some of you, already a tape is running in your mind. Oh, that might be true for others, but it's not true for you. Now, the pastor doesn't know what, what you've been up to. Uh, he, he, pastor doesn't know how far down that trail you've gone, how dark this is, how, how firmly that's taken hold. That, uh, it's, it might be true for others, you know, the, sh the shiny, happy Christians, but it's not true for you. And the reason why I know that that tape's playing in some of your minds is because that tape often plays in mine. Uh, uh, friends, we have to recognize that's not God's voice. It's the enemy of God. Because the enemy of God wants you to live lethargic. He wants you to live cowering in fear. He wants you to never be bold in your faith, to never be joyful, to never have peace. He wants you to completely lack assurance. That's the kind of despondency that the enemy of God wants for you, but that's not God's heart for you. God wants you to understand his grace for you never runs out. His love for you is unfailing. The most outlandish loving thing that could ever happen is Jesus Christ on the cross paying for your sin and in that moment saying, Father, forgive Mike. Forgive Norm. Father, forgive Becky. Forgive Mindy. They don't know what they're doing. That's an amazing, outlandishly loving Reality, and, it, and, it, and when we say outlandish, we mean it, it literally it borders on the bizarre in no way proportional to the way I should be treated. Instead, he loves me and lavishes me with it. Nothing I deserve, right? But again, if we feel this, if we know it in our hearts, if we live, then we'll be able to approach the throne of grace with confidence, assured of his love for you and I. 
And that's what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Okay, do you need grace? I need grace. And Jesus offers grace. Right, friends, we have all sinned in thought, word, and deed. We've all sinned in things that we've done, and we've all sinned in things that we've left undone. And, and I want you to understand that, that, that the Lord chooses, if you're in Christ, if you've repented of that stuff, if you, if you said, I, I confess it and I need you, Lord, the Lord chooses to absolutely forgive you. That's the state of being that you're in. That's your posture before the Lord. And your sins are removed from you as far as the east is from the west. And they're sunk into the deepest, darkest sea. And the Lord God Almighty chooses to remember them no more. And he chooses to instead see you with the righteousness of his son. Friends, this is good news. This is good news. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. I believe that's the definition of outlandish love. These words that have reverberated through the eons, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And if you're filling in the blanks, I, I really do want to offer you a couple of truths just to take and walk with this week. The first is that Jesus offers me forgiveness outlandishly. Jesus offers me forgiveness. And I want you to make it personal. I want you to receive his words you confess your sin, you repent of it, you just acknowledge your need of Jesus. You're forgiven, be forgiven, feel forgiven. Over like, I want you to, I want you just to experience the love of Jesus today for you. That you would just say, Jesus, that's what I want. I wanna receive your forgiveness today. And Lord, you know where I've blown it, you know where I've stumbled, you know where I've, where I've wandered, you, you know all the stuff about me, you, you know how unworthy I am of righteousness, and that's why I need your righteousness, Jesus. Do you have grace for me? And the answer is yes. Receive it today. Receive his forgiveness, accept his forgiveness. Feel, feel forgiven, right? Know that God loves you. What God wants for you is to, to be free of guilt. He wants you to stand tall and unashamed, to be able to look one another in the eye, to experience the full measure of his love, be filled with the full measure of his peace, to walk with the full uh, presence of the Holy Spirit of God in your life, welling up and flowing over, knowing that his grace covers everything, that he has paid the price, that our sin is swallowed up in Christ's righteousness. My Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Now, I kind of imagine it like this. I, I kind of imagine that, uh, you know, weekly maybe, I come before the Lord with an Excel spreadsheet of all my sins for the week, right? And I just, I come before Jesus and I've got this long uh, list of, you know, most of them, you know, this is not the second or third time I'm confessing, but, you know, hundreds of, uh, you know, Jesus, you've heard these before. And, and I come with my Excel spreadsheet and I offer it to Jesus. And Jesus, just love and warmth and grace. He just says, oh, bro. I, I imagine Jesus saying, bro. I don't know if he says, bro, that's not in the scripture. He never, hey, bro. That's how I picture Jesus interacting with me. And, Oh, bro, I, uh, Mike, I do forgive you. I do, for these sins, yeah. But listen, that, these are by no means your only sins. You want to see your uh, Can you guys bring in Mike's sins? And, and it's like a, tr a forklift, right? Boop, boop, boop. 
comes in, and it's not just like a pallet of paper. It's like reams and reams, pallets, floor to ceiling of, you know, single space, double-sided, 12-point font, Mike sins, right, all the way floor to ceiling. And Jesus says, you see these sins? They're yours. And I go, oh, man. And he goes, that, that, that was Saturday morning. <laughs> 10, 15 to 11 a.m., right there. That, that's, and I forgive you. And I'm going to take these, and I'm going to recycle them, because that's what Jesus does. I mean, Seattle knows that Jesus recycles. And so I'm going to recycle all these, and I'm going to transform them into something that brings my Father glory and something that blesses you as well. I want you to see that and feel that and walk in that, because if we can get our arms around God's loving heart for us, it will transform the way you look in the mirror. And it'll transform the way you interact with other people. It'll transform the way you interact in your home and with your family members. It'll transform the way you pray. This is such a beautiful truth. And I want you to walk in it. That Jesus has outlandish love for you. He wants to forgive you outlandishly. I, uh, I read a story this week. It's about a man named Fiorello LaGuardia. Some of you know him. He was the mayor of New York City back in the early 1900s during the worst days of the Great Depression. He was called by many New Yorkers the little flower because he was five foot four and he wore a carnation in his lapel. I was thinking, that doesn't sound like a very endearing nickname, you know, until I realized that you have to say it with a New York mob boss accent, like, say hello to my little flower, you know. (laughs) But he was beloved in his city, and, and the stories about LaGuardia were that he would um, ride on the uh, fire trucks through town, and there were times when he would take whole orphanages to baseball games, and, and when the, the, the newspapers were on strike, LaGuardia would read funnies uh, to everyone over the radio so that they could be a part of it. You know, it's no wonder they named the airport after him. I've been in and out of that airport, never knew it was named after a guy, right? LaGuardia was a a good dude, and there's a story about, uh, in 1935, one cold January night, he goes down to night court in one of the poorest wards of the city. And he, he, he said to the judge, hey, why don't you take the night off? I'll sit behind the bench. One of the first cases that came to LaGuardia was an elderly lady, and she had been caught red-handed stealing bread from the neighborhood grocery store. And she explained to LaGuardia, listen, I, I don't want to be a thief. I hate being a thief, but, but my daughter is very ill, and her husband has, has left her, treated her poorly, and left, and, and her, my grandkids are starving to death, and I needed the bread, and I, I stole it. And the grocery owner said, yeah, I hear this story, but, but we cannot let her off. He said, we live in a, a tough part of town, and, and she has to be convicted because we have to send a message that crime doesn't pay, and, and, and justice has to be served, and And LaGuardia said, he's right. And so he slammed the gavel down. He said, the crime for stealing is either $10, which was a huge amount of money, or 10 days in jail. But even as he said it, he reached into his pocket, and he took off his hat, and he put a $10 bill in his hat. He said, I'm going to remit this fine myself. He said, in addition to that, I'm going to fine every person in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a city where a grandmother has to steal bread to feed her grandkids. Bailiff, would you pass the hat? 
4750 was collected that night and given to a very bewildered elderly lady. Meanwhile, every single person in the courtroom gave a standing ovation to LaGuardia. Witnessing this moment of grace and blessing. Now, did she deserve it? No. Stealing is stealing. She stole a loaf of bread. That's a high-carb crime. That's an assault against gluten, right? Like that. Somebody's got to pay. And so LaGuardia said, I will. And not only that, but every one of you is going to bless her and be a part of a blessing for her, including the grocery store owner who gave 50 cents. I just want you to see that's grace. It's forgiveness and blessing undeserved. And that's what Jesus has for you. And that's what Jesus has for me. And so I I really want you to understand it's more than we deserve. This is so incredible, so outlandish, so loving, that that truly in in the face of our need and in the face of God's generosity, all you can do is receive. All you can do is just accept, just in, in bewilderment and great joy, just say, Jesus, I receive it. And walk in that truth that you are forgiven and that you are loved. And he has, he has this incredible freedom. He, he invites you to live. This, all this joy and peace for you. Now, what I want us to do is I want to turn just a little bit. Okay, we're going to shift real quickly. Because I want you to understand that every week we recognize that we are loved outlandishly by Jesus Christ. But not for our own sake. It's so that in receiving his outlandish love, we can now turn and offer it to others. And so we're talking about forgiveness right now. And I, I, I just want to, just for a moment or two, turn this corner. We have been forgiven. How are we to forgive? Scripture tells us this, and, and it happens again and again and again. We see this. Jesus says in Luke six thirty-seven, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it'll all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. And what I want you to see is this incredible reflexive relationship that we've been forgiven, now we're to forgive. That we've not been judged, now we're not to judge. The the scripture says there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, so we're not to condemn either. Does that make sense? So it's incredibly reflexive. It comes to us, now we give it out. The next verse there. First uh, Peter 3, 9, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you, right? I mean, this is what Jesus modeled. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Someone insults you, you bless them, that's grace. That's what God has called you to do, and he will bless you for it. Okay, if you're filling in the blanks, this is what I need you to know. Forgiven people, forgive people. Forgiven people, forgive people. You might want to write it this way. If I am forgiven, then I must forgive. If you're not forgiven, you don't want forgiveness, you couldn't care less about being forgiven by the Lord, don't forgive. But if you're forgiven, there's a mandate 
that we're to offer to others freely. We've received freely, now we give forgiveness freely. So what I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you to think right now about a person in your life that you need to forgive. I wanna make sure we land this thing and make it practical, make it personal. Who do you need to forgive? For some of you, instantly, the person you're thinking of, is, is a, it's a big deal. Someone abused you. Somebody's just stabbed you in the back hurt you incredibly. Like their face is very often in your mind. You need to forgive that person. For others of you, you're feeling a little smug. You're like, oh, I don't need to forgive him. Here's the person you need to think of. The person in your life that annoys you the most, that person, (laughs) because you all have that person, right? You all have that person. Now, the scripture just encourages us with this, right? We see in Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the, what? As the Lord forgave you. Again, there's that reflexive relationship. God has forgiven you, now you're to forgive. C.S. Lewis says it this way, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Okay, so what does it mean for us to do this, to have grace? It's this, choose to forgive outlandishly. That Jesus has forgiven me outlandishly, and now the challenge is that I choose to forgive others outlandishly. Now, in my notes, I wrote the words, this is an act of will. We talk about love often as being an act of will. Sometimes you feel love, and it's emotionally connected to your actions, but other times you don't feel love. You're still called to love. It's an act of will. Same thing is true about forgiveness. Forgiveness is an act of will. It's a way that you choose to release this situation and this person to Jesus, and you're saying to the Lord, I don't need to extract my pound of flesh from them. I want to offer them to you, and I choose to forgive them as you've forgiven me. You say, look, they have wounded me, and my choices, I choose not to retaliate against them. I'm going to offer them to you, Jesus, and I'm going to just, the way you've forgiven me, I'm going to try to forgive them. Would you help me with that? Does that make sense? You know you've been insulted, or you've been lied about, you've been gossiped about, you've been wounded, and you want to strike back, but instead what you choose to do is just offer them to Jesus. And Lord, instead of speaking ill against that person, I I, I choose to, to, if I can, speak well, and if I can't, speak nothing. But I release them to you, and I choose to forgive. And I, friends, I just, I recognize that this is an incredible, difficult process. A man named Lewis Smeads, if you want to do more reading, he's a great resource. He writes about forgiveness, shame, and grace. Smead says, you will know that forgiveness has begun when you recall those who hurt you and feel the power to wish them well. You've turned a corner when instead of causing you an ulcer when you think about them, you you just release them and you don't want their suffering or pain. You want want them to do okay. Uh, He also says this, forgiving does not erase the bitter past and I think that's really true for us to remember. A healed memory is not a deleted memory. Instead, forgiving what we cannot forget creates a new way to remember. We change the memory of our past into a hope for our future. And only the Lord can do this. I mean, the power for this, it does not exist within us. It only exists because he has forgiven us. We've been filled up 
by his strength and his courage. We know what it means to walk in grace. And so it's out of that overflow that now we begin to extend it to others. Friends, I know some of you, this is the hardest message that I could possibly bring. Some of your, your hurt is just right there in front of you. I, I, I won't pretend that I have had a lot of suffering in my life or that, that I've walked the hardest road there is to walk, and, and so please don't hear this as a comparison. But I do want to confess to you that there have been things in my life, actions enacted against me that have caused me deep pain, abuse that I've suffered at the hands of a trusted leader when I was a teenager, a guy in a very vulnerable season of my life that I was relying on heavily and in that same season actually was walking away, completely unreliable. So I mean, there, there have been these seasons and, and yet I can honestly stand before the Lord, before you and say, I, I've forgiven them, I've released them, I've wished them well. And you say, well, Mike, how did you do that? You know what? To be honest, I don't know. I don't have seven happy hops to heaven and forgiveness. Like, that's not, that's not a part of the formula. I, I do, I do want to tell you that it's, it is possible that with a little bit of space and time and inviting Jesus in, that, that God can do some healing work in your own heart so that you can, you can release them. I also want you to know it, it, it's a choice. So before you feel like forgiving, it's important to make the choice that you choose to forgive. But mostly I want you to think about it in terms of this visual. So, I don't know about you, but every once in a while I have insomnia. I just can't sleep at night. Last night was one of those nights. So for me, I was asleep, you know, 10.30, I went to bed. Uh, I was up at 3. I fell asleep at 5.50. The alarm goes off at 6. So that's kind of how it went for me today. Mostly in those hours in the dead of night, I just lay in bed and I just pray. I was just with the Lord. I, I, I was... I was praying about my family, my kiddos, my wife. I was praying about you, lifting you guys up. It was actually a really sweet time. I really felt God, God was present last night with me. And, and, and then I, I just got this picture. I was thinking about the message. And the picture that I got was the picture of a backpack filled with rocks. See, some of you, you're walking the road of unforgiveness. And I want you to know that each grievance you hold and each person that you choose not to forgive. It's like walking a road, carrying a backpack filled with rocks. And so you just strapped it on and you go through your life and you think, I'm cool. I'm fine. I don't have any issues. Meanwhile, the Lord looks at you and he sees you just struggling under the weight. The, the, The straps just ripping into your shoulders. He sees this incredible burden that you carry. And he's saying to you today, today it's time for you to take that backpack off, right? It's, it's time for you to just one by one pull out the rocks and just offer them to Jesus. Say, Jesus, this is, this is where I was abused as a child. And I've been carrying that forever. And I need to just release it to you and ask you would, you, would you take that? And would you give me the strength to forgive? And, and you know, Jesus, this is, this is where my business partner stabbed me in the back and he took half of my customer list and he's now making three times what I'm making. I'm barely surviving. But I just, I wanna offer that to you. 
I want to just ask that you would cover it with your forgiveness, that you would let me be filled with your grace so that I could offer your grace. You know, this is, this is that, uh, the fact that nobody in my family puts toilet paper on the toilet paper roll. <laughs> I find myself stranded once a week at least because... And you just go through the backpack and you just, you name each one. Friends, forgiveness is not pretending. You don't pretend away. No, you have to look at it and name it. And then you release it. And you say, Jesus, I don't know how to forgive this, but I know you've forgiven me. So with that power, I just lay it down. I'm gonna tell you that today my prayer for you is really, really simple. It's that you would walk out of here with an empty backpack. That you would just leave those burdens at the foot of the cross, knowing that you're forgiven and offering that forgiveness to others. Why don't we pray together? Let's just spend some time praying. Lord, when I, when I talk about forgiveness... It is so enjoyable to think that you forgive me. And it is so convicting to know that you are calling me to forgive. Jesus, I know that that's a a very common reality. And, And in this room right now, we are thankful for your forgiveness and we receive it today. Lord, I I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give us insight into allowing us to feel forgiven and to walk in your accepting and and generous love for us, that, that we could live as your children, free and bold and confident and just ready to go after life because that's what you want to do. You want to set us free and you want to liberate us to truly live. And it's your forgiveness that provides that. So Jesus, we just say thank you, thank you, thank you. And Lord, we need your courage and we need your strength when it comes to forgiving others. Lord, would you work powerfully now? Would you give us the will to choose to forgive that we do not need to demand our pound of flesh. We do not need retribution. We we do not need to injure as we've been injured, but rather we release them now into your care. And we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help us forgive. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.